Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. Most have heard of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac as they relate to the 2008 financial crisis. But where are they now? My name is Andrew Evans, and on today's episode, I'm talking about reforms to the housing finance giants Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac with Thomas Wade, AAF's Director of Financial Services Policy. Thomas, thanks for coming on. Andrew, I'm delighted to be here. The advantage of recording a podcast is you can't tell I spilt my lunch all the way down my shirt. And the, the, the downside is that you can't see the glories of my beard. So Thomas, let's, let's just start with the basics. Uh, tell me, what are Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and what exactly do they do? So let's start with the Great Depression. By 1933, an estimated quarter of the nation's outstanding mortgage debt was in default. This resulted in foreclosures in which nearly 25% of America's homeowners lost their homes to banks. To address this, in 1938, Congress created, as part of FDR's New Deal, the Federal National Mortgage Association, or FNMA, that is usually known as Fannie Mae, and in so doing, single-handedly created a secondary mortgage market. In 1970, the federal government created the Federal Home Loan Mortgages Corporation, or FHLMC, usually known as Freddie Mac. Freddie Mac had the same goals as Fannie Mae to increase the availability of home mortgages to buyers, but it also serves as competition to Fannie Mae in theory. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are known as government-sponsored enterprises, or GSEs, so apologies if I use those terms interchangeably. Sounds like kind of an alphabet soup. That's all right. We're only just starting. (laughs) Tell tell me, what kind of impact do they have just on the average individual in the United States? There are two goals here, Andrew. In the first, Fannie and Freddie act as go-betweens for banks and lenders, the federal government, and investors, and in so doing, make capital or funds much more available, thereby improving the liquidity of the market. Let me break this down for you a little bit by talking about this secondary mortgage market that Fannie created. In a nutshell, there are three steps. First, Andrew, you obtain financing on your new home. Assuming if that only, if only. <laughs> your hypothetical maybe, maybe one day. <laughs> Assuming that your lender is approved to work with Fannie and Freddie, and that is a very easy assumption, after you close, Andrew, that loan is then bought by Fannie and Freddie. Let's say Fannie. Second, Fannie will then either keep the loan on their books, or more usually, will package up similar loans, perhaps in length or interest rate, into a single bundle, which is known as a security. This is the meaning of the term mortgage-backed security, or MBS. Third and finally, Fannie then offers these securities, which will span a range of risks and returns, to private market investors, along with, crucially, an insurance policy protecting the investor against losses, which makes a security extremely attractive. So, what does this mean? The key impact is that going all the way back to the start, Andrew, the lender who financed your home has some of the loans taken off their books and as a result have the funds to be able to finance the mortgage of someone else. As a result of selling the securities, Fannie has the capital required to continue to buy these loans from lenders and investors make a profit from the interest earned on your monthly mortgage payment. It is seemingly a win for everyone. I mentioned two goals. The second is considerably easier to explain. In addition to providing market liquidity, Fannie and Freddie also have have statutory obligations to make mortgages available to low-income borrowers, helping to make houses more affordable. So just to try to sum that up, for the average, not not a low-income individual, but the average sort of home buyer, do Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac effectively drive down interest rates and make it cheaper to buy a house? Is that what's going on here? Via a couple of steps, yes. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. All right. So thanks for that explanation. 
I want to talk about the, the recent proposals that have been coming out of the Trump administration for reforming Fannie and Freddie. Um, but in order to understand these reforms, I think that we have to understand first the problems. And the 2008 financial crisis, if I recall correctly, exposed some real problems at Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, perhaps to put it mildly. Uh, could you just remind us about what role Fannie and Freddie had in that crisis? Absolutely. If you're if you're down for a very quick run through the 2007-8 crisis, let's go. One way of looking at it is that it was a mortgage crisis quickly followed by a banking crisis, with the collapse of Lehman Brothers and the subsequent big bank bailouts. But let's focus on that mortgage crisis piece. As a wild oversimplification, housing prices in the early 2000s uh, continued to rise in what is known as a housing bubble. The, this housing bubble was finally financed by mortgage-backed securities and a very similar complicated financial instrument called, called a collateralized debt obligation, or CDO. These deeply complicated financial instruments were given positive risk ratings from rating agencies that did not reflect the true risk of the instrument. Can you, can you tell me what, what's a positive risk rating? So you may have seen the US government is double A or AA plus right, or yeah. AA minus. Mm-hmm. These are risk ratings on uh, firms and on uh, financial instruments. Uh, As housing prices began to decline in 2006, it became very difficult for home buyers to refinance their loans and mortgage delinquency soared. As a result, the complicated securities, which derived their value from the asset itself, the underlying mortgage, lost pretty much all their value. Trillions of dollars were wiped off the balance sheets of the investors, the large banks, which triggered the banking crisis. So, what was the role of Fannie and Freddie? There were many factors involved in the crisis, so it's hard to be definitive. But remember the insurance Fannie and Freddie offered investors making their securities so attractive. This insurance created a perception that the federal government would rescue Fannie and Freddie if they ever got into trouble, known as the implicit guarantee. The perception that Fannie and Freddie were backed by the federal government allowed them to borrow money on the bond market at extremely generous rates, which in turn fed into the explosion of these mortgage-backed securities. So the mortgage-backed securities created a bunch of, you know, a lot of risk throughout that that was sort of inflated by the government uh, government backing of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Is that a fair characterization? Not so much that they inflated the risk insofar as the government made it very easy for a wide variety of these very risky securities to be available that were not appropriately um, risked by rating agencies. And then when things began to go south, everything did. Okay, no that that makes that makes sense. All right. So in the wake of the crisis, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they contributed, you know, a lot to it by by creating these mortgage-backed securities. What did the government do to the structure in Fannie and Freddie in the wake of this crisis? They're still around, so they haven't been eliminated. What did the government do? By August 2008, shares in Fannie and Freddie had lost 90% of their share value, a hit of about 15 billion dollars to the economy. Fannie and Freddie had on their books about $5 trillion in outstanding debt at the time. Essentially, they were bailed out by the government in a process known as putting them into conservatorship, uh, which led to Treasury pumping $200 billion in additional capital into Fannie and Freddie, firing their executive boards and essentially turning them into quasi-government agencies, a position they have remained in for the last 11 years. So the government just took, took over them. Exactly. Okay, so in their current state of conservatorship... Do they endanger the economy in the same way that they that they did before the crisis? Are they still generating you know, massive amounts of mortgage-backed securities that don't have appropriate risk ratings? Like, what's what kind of risk do they pose? Oh, absolutely. Uh, 
putting Fannie and Freddie into conservatorship may have staved off crisis and, and wide-scale default, but it changed very little about how the secondary mortgage market operates. In fact, the position is considerably worse. Fannie and Freddie now back 90% of all mortgages, whereas at the time of the crisis, it was only 50%. Fannie and Freddie currently guarantee almost $7 trillion in mortgage debt, 33% more than they did so before the crisis. In the event of another crisis, even one not directly precipitated by mortgage-backed securities, the result would presumably be mortgage default and a significant strain on the GSEs. Okay, thanks Thanks for that explanation. That's really helpful. The Trump administration recently released several proposals for overhauling or reforming in some, in some regard Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. What what are they doing? What's their intent? Let me back up a step and pop this in some reform context. It's now been 11 years since the crisis and the GSEs have not had any degree of significant reform. The banks received perhaps an unfair amount of scrutiny in the wake of what was very much precipitated by a housing crisis in the form of Dodd-Frank. We've not had similar legislation changing the way the secondary mortgage market works. So why is this the case? A couple of reasons. Inertia is a key factor. There is a feeling that this problem is simply too big to manage, that it's someone else's problem, that there are higher priorities, or that simply, if it ain't broke, why fix it? And if I can sp- if I can speak more about the political perspectives from the point of view of Republicans, the GSEs are wildly anti-free market, but to replace them would be to replace the secondary mortgage market writ large as it has existed since 1938. Congressional Democrats often approach the problem as a question of housing affordability, and in particular, access to homes for those of lower incomes. And this is really the crux of it. The American dream largely involves home ownership, and the federal government has played a key role in providing mortgages to a section of the population that the free market would usually determine as being too risky to own a home. This is political poison. More pragmatically, it is hard to envision any form of GSE reform that does not make mortgages more expensive in at least the short term. Even if the economy were rendered more safe as a whole, the cost of financing will rise and this increase will necessarily be passed on to consumers. Uh, Putting Congress aside, we can turn to the administration. The Trump administration earlier this year directed Treasury and Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, to propose wide-ranging reform recommendations, which they helpfully divided into two categories. The first, legislative, which would require an act of Congress, and administrative, which could be performed by Treasury and the other federal agencies. This was really with a view, uh, in the FHFA's opinion, to reduce market reliance on the GSEs, enhance market stability, and benefit home buyers. And one really key key requirement that the administration looked for in this process was to improve competition in the market. So with these reforms, what is likely to happen in your estimation? We have not and will likely never see significant reform driven by Congress without at least the spur of another financial crisis. So these legislative proposals, however sensible they might be, will likely not receive the attention they deserve, particularly in the run-up to an election year. Progress on administrative reform looks much more hopeful. Under FHFA, or Federal Housing Finance Agency Director Mark Calabria, the GSEs have already taken many much-welcomed steps to decrease both their footprint and the risk they present to the economy. The two really significant uh, movements in this arena as a result of the administrative reforms uh, will see two very significant developments for Fannie and Freddie this year, both in uh, 
relation to the amount of capital they must hold. So remember, the more capital Fannie and Freddie or any firm uh, must hold in reserve, the better they will be able to cope in the event of a crisis. Director Calabria noted earlier this year that the GSEs are leveraged or have a debt-to-income ratio of 1,000 to 1. This is extraordinarily frightening. That's crazy. It is is keeps me up at night. So, two very welcome capital reforms for Fannie and Freddie. In the first, Treasury has amended what it calls the net worth sweep, which governs the profits GSEs must return to Treasury. Finally, the GSEs will be able to build up their capital reserves rather than simply sending these profits to Treasury, decreasing the likelihood that Treasury would simply have to bail them out again. Second, As of recording, we are expecting the FHFA to finalise a capital rule later this year that will dictate the amount of capital the GSEs would have to hold once they are released from conservatorship and returned to the market as private entities, although I am personally very interested to see whether these new private entities will be treated as global systemically important and subject to high capital requirements, but that's a conversation for another time. Do you think raising capital requirements, which seems to be sort of the core of a lot of this, would reduce the risk sufficiently from them? Would it, would it make them safe? Raising capital would necessarily reduce the risk. One key question, and we can come on to this, is what amount of capital would render them sufficiently harmless? Uh, in many people's view, in my view, that number has not yet been invented. Okay, so that brings me to, to, my next, to my next question. What, In a perfect world, what would you like to see happen to Fannie and Freddie? What reforms to them would you like to see enacted? So after 11 years, we are finally on some form of track towards the GSEs recapitalizing and then being released from government control back into the market as private entities. Uh, Here at the AAF, we view that as being, while necessarily an improvement on the situation now, possibly the worst of all options. The GSEs have enjoyed a decade of government support and represent a real duopoly or monopoly. How is the private market going to compete with that? However, you you asked about a a perfect world. One AFU is that the GSEs should simply be raised to the ground and we should establish that entirely private secondary mortgage market. Another view is that we simply grow up and recognize that housing is a social good that the government must control and that rather than treat the GSEs as quasi-government agencies, we simply recognize them as new government departments. How would we just raise them to the ground and and then start over? It seems like, like there would be a massive liquidity crunch in the housing market if if they were just to be eliminated overnight. Would that that occur? It would be extraordinarily problematic, particularly with the view to the the mortgages that are currently backed by Fannie and Freddie. Transferring that portfolio would be extraordinarily painful, but to some it must happen. So is there, is the the fundamental problem here that Fannie and Freddie have this implicit backing from the federal government that gives them access to a ton of capital that, that private entities just can't compete with? Absolutely. And that's uh, that's only one level of it. Looking at it even further, with a decade of taxpayer investment in, for instance, Fannie and Freddie's technology infrastructures and their HR and everything that makes them operate as quasi-companies, they have not, for instance, take research and development, take the products they push out into the market. All of this is backed by the taxpayer. There's no way a private entity can compete with that. 
So uh, I know AAF, we have an event coming up soon on uh, on Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac on reforms that have been proposed. I think we have Mark Calabria, who you mentioned, who's the director of FHFA. Oh, steal my thunder, Andrew. Oh, I'm so sorry. So, so, all right. So tell me about this event. Who is coming? (laughs) On November 6th, the AAF will be holding a panel to discuss housing finance reform. And we are privileged to have FHFA director Mark Calabria providing a keynote address. This is truly the most interesting time in housing reform in a decade. So I'm really looking forward to hearing his perspective on the path forward, particularly for 2020, and discussing the key issues with some of the smartest people in Washington. So put it in your calendars. Very good. Thanks. Well, I'm looking forward to being there. Listeners, if you would like to RSVP to this event, you can find the link in our show notes. Uh, you know, here at the end of the show, we like to have a little bit of a, of a personal bit, um, talking, you know, getting to know our experts a little bit more. Um, I understand that you, Thomas, are a long distance runner. How did you get into that? I've always loved uh, long-distance running, and some friends of mine and I compete every year in what are called Ragnars. These are long-distance relay races that are run as usually a team of 12. Stretching over 200 miles, the team races over about 30 hours without a break and through the night. So, uh, for one instance, we ran from the Canadian border to Seattle. When did you do that? Uh, That was last year, I believe. Last year. How did you do? I personally did very poorly. The team did great. <laughs> very good. Um, well, Thomas, we really appreciate you coming in to, to discuss this, and, and thanks for, for helping us to understand a little bit more about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. Don't forget to subscribe to iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF.